And I think we parents were conditioned to not want to raise our kids to be overly sensitive, right? We want them to be able to face life's challenges, to overcome them, to have resilience. But there's a difference between resilience and allowing toxic, abusive behavior, right? Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So I've recently had to deal with an experience of what I would call a negative authority figure in one of my children's lives. And honestly, this isn't the first time. And our kids will likely have encounters with more than one negative authority figure during their childhood. So what do I mean by negative authority figure? What I mean by this is someone who behaves in such a way that it can cause mental, emotional damage, whether it's for the short term or the long term to our kids. I'm going to talk about what that is. I'm going to talk about this experience. I'm going to talk about what those types of behaviors are that could cause that type of mental and emotional damage, psychological damage to our kids. So you know what to look for. So there's really no way to avoid every negative interaction with every person, nor would we want to for our kids. They have to learn to deal with all kinds of people in the world as they grow up and become adults. And they're going to run into people who have some of these characteristics, but we can and should manage their exposure. And the younger they are, the more we're going to manage this. As they get older, we will support, we will ask questions, we will suggest, we will guide usually without setting a solid boundary once they get into their teen years around the access to this person. Although sometimes we will limit or remove access. And in our case, I did cut down and shut down this access to this person as much as I could. So I'm going to share about that in a few minutes. So what kinds of things might someone do or say that could be damaging to our children's sense of self? Now, this could be a family member, it could be a teacher, whether it's a school teacher or a music teacher or an art teacher or hobby teacher, a coach, a sports coach, another parent in the neighborhood or a friend's parent, something like that. And this is the gray area and where your gut feeling about it is going to be really important because there's so many factors to this, right? Like, How much exposure do they have to this person? Is it just every so often? Is it just a little thing they say every now and again that we can kind of mitigate at home? How much exposure are they getting? And that's the reason of the title of the episode is, is it really that bad? Because we tend to blow things off and think it's not that bad. At least I do. And from other parents I've talked to are very similar, have very similar thought patterns that I do. Maybe the person's rude or they're out of line, but is it really that bad? So what I'm learning is that, yes, if I feel like there's an issue, it probably is that bad. If you're asking yourself the question, if it's making you pause, if it's making you go, hmm, then it very likely is. And it's worth deeper consideration. Okay, some of the more benign situations 
are adults who might be rude or disrespectful, a family member you see once or twice a year at a family gathering. Maybe they make some racist comments or they're derogatory towards someone else in the family or just towards other groups of people in general or another person who isn't at the gathering. My rule of thumb is this. If the comments are more general and these are gatherings you otherwise enjoy, we only see them a few times a year, we might have talks with our kids about how we have different values, how we talk about people differently than this person might be. Because they're going to run into these people in life and they kind of have to know how to deal with that, how to compartmentalize it. If, however, they're being derogatory towards someone in attendance or to you or your spouse, one of their parents, to them, to the children themselves, and this is a pattern, then it's time to sit down and decide if this is something you want to confront the person, show your kids how you set a boundary, how you confront someone, or If you feel like it's just not going to go well, do you continue to expose your kids, depending on their ages, to this person? Now, the issue with kids witnessing this kind of behavior towards us or towards them or towards someone else who's there at the gathering is that we teach them what's okay or not okay to put up with. If we or others don't stand up against that type of behavior, we might be sending a message that it's okay to be treated this way. So these are things that we always want to think about. Again, very gray area. There's no black and white answers here. Okay, I want to try to get a little more clear on what I mean by derogatory, but I'm going to share our latest experience first because then I can use this example and explain through these examples of interactions because a lot of them sound benign at first and then they sometimes tend to get worse. So we're going to talk about each of these interactions and where's the line? Where do we decide the line is? Because they can become more problematic over time. So for us, this negative authority figure that began to affect my child was a coach. Not my child's coach, luckily, but it was the head coach. So this coach, Coach Tom, had been described as old school to me by many of the adult players that work under him by his assistant coach, who is my son's coach. And by old school, what they meant and what they mean is authoritarian. Now, if you've followed my podcast on parenting styles or you've taken any of my classes on the website, particularly the Intro to Discipline, you know that authoritarian is that really harsh style, very common in the 50s, 1950s and before. Basically, it's my way or the highway. Children are to be seen and not heard. Don't question my reasoning, don't question my methods, do as I say, and don't ask any questions. It's high in expectation and very low in warmth, and that's okay. It's okay for a coach in particular. It's not ideal, but it can be okay depending on the language that they use, the descriptions that they use. The problem is when it spills over to being so harsh that it affects the child, in this case, my athlete, their mindset, their self-esteem, the way they view themselves as an athlete, as a player. In tennis, mindset is everything. The belief in the self to overcome any doubt. What if they miss a shot? What if they double fault on their serve? What if they are losing and they need to come back? My son has been down in a set, a completely lost a set zero to four, and then came back to win the match. You have to have a really strong mindset to be able to do that. So if the mindset is affected and they start to question themselves, that's not going to be good for the player. So this is 
his belief in himself is so unbelievably vital to his performance. Now, the player needs to know that their coach believes in them and their ability. So in any facet, so whether it's in music or whether it's in sports or whether it's in drama or whether it's in school, you know, what we say to our kids becomes their internal voice that they will use with themselves. Correction is fine. Correction is important. Pushing the child is fine. I will hear my son's coach say things like, come on, get to the ball early. Get your feet set up. Hit through the ball. Stop reaching for the ball. Get to the ball. Move faster. Get there faster. This is all fine. It's great. It's a correction. It's pushing. It's telling him what to do. I talk about this right in my, in my discipline classes too. We want to tell our kids what to do, not what not to do. They need to know what to do, what to fix so they can do things differently. Now, Coach Tom is an amazing coach for technique and for player skill development. He's incredible. He has developed many junior players to be very high-level players, and he actually has had a couple of pro players under him. So a little bit of the push, sometimes a few jabs, the harshness, they were tolerable at first. At first, it was little things and actually was even more of a teachable interchange at first. It started out with things like, now I'm giving this as an example so you can understand what it might be like at first as a teachable moment, not mean at all, not harsh at all just a teachable moment but then it sometimes starts to go down from there and it did for us so here was our example he taught my son how to keep score with the ball machine so every time carter would hit a ball get it over the net get it in the court right that's a point every time carter missed the ball so the ball machine would throw a ball carter would miss it completely or he'd hit it and it go into the net or he'd hit it but it would go out it was a point for the machine So just like in a regular match, so whoever gets to the four points first and they win by two points, they win that game. That was fine when Carter was learning how to be consistent in hitting. He was working on consistency in hitting. He was working on just getting to the ball, getting it over, keeping it in. This was a great teachable method. But then Carter would be working on a new stroke. He was working with his coach. His coach would set him up on the ball machine. He would have him working on different things, either having him run back and forth across the court, getting to the balls. So he'd be setting it up random, making him run all over the place. So he's working on something new. He was working on backhand across court. He'd only be setting up the machine to go backhand. And he'd be hitting it backhand, cross court, you know, or down the line. He was working on a new, something new. Well, when you're working on something new, there's going to be a lot more error because you're learning. And Coach Tom would walk onto the court And Carter be working on something completely new, something he wasn't very good at yet. And he would start keeping track with the ball machine. Oh, you just lost that game. And it started to become annoying and frankly, obnoxious. So looking back at this, it actually reminds me of a kind of a grooming of, you know, let me see how far I can go. I'm going to push just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more. Or like someone who has kind of an abusive personality that slowly gets more abusive over time. So, you know, there's a saying about the frog in the water. Like if you put a frog in boiling water, they're going to jump out because it's too hot. But if you put them in tepid water and you turn the water up slowly over time, then they're too lethargic and they're too already starting to boil and it's too late, right? So it reminds me of that turning up the heat over time. And and this coach was turning up the heat. Now, it kind of hit a point one night where I had had enough. We were sitting on the bench waiting for class to start. Carter had one class with this coach. It was the adult intermediate class. He took this one class with this coach. 
And Carter was just sitting there. He was eating his dinner because he gets to the courts early that day and he would hit for two hours with someone and then he would take that class for two hours. And he was eating his dinner, sitting on the bench. And coach just comes over and just starts jabbing at him and just basically being very passive aggressive, putting him down about his tennis, about how he wasn't a very good tennis player, about how he makes so many mistakes. And then he started coming down in his swimming career. So if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that my son used to be a junior Olympian and also went to several high-level swim meets where he had to make some very aggressive cutoff times to be able to even get into those meets. And then he would go to those meets and even place at many of them in the top three to five. And so it was really out of the blue. It was really uncalled for. He basically was calling Carter lazy as a swimmer. Carter and I were looking at each other. We really didn't know what to do. I was very taken aback. I was very shocked. And we were just looking at each other like, what's his problem? And so the coach walked away and I turned to Carter and I said, do you want me to go talk to him? And he said, no, it's okay. Now, looking back at this, I really should have gone over to him right then and there. And I should have set the boundary for my son. I asked him because I didn't want to embarrass him. I didn't want to, he was going into class with this coach and you know, but he tends to be very accommodating, just like so many of us do. And I realize now I really should have set an example in that moment, but I didn't. And I I told him that later on. But I did speak to Carter's coach about the exchange. And I told him that it was out of line. I told him it was just uncalled for. I said, there is absolutely no reason for him to be coming down on Carter about his swimming. I'm like, he doesn't know Carter as a swimmer. He knows nothing about his swim career. He doesn't understand how advanced that he was. And I really just really didn't appreciate it. So he said he was going to talk to Coach Tom about it. Carter's coach has worked with Coach Tom for a very long time. He was actually his coach's coach. And so he felt he knew how to, how to talk to him and, and deal with him. Unfortunately, it just continued. I wasn't at the class. I didn't see what happened. Carter finished up the class. He came to the car. He was in my car. He was visibly upset. And I said, did Coach Tom get to you tonight? And he said, yes. And I said, well, tell me what's happening. He told me about some of the things that went on in class. And he said, I just feel like I can't do anything right. He's like, I'm afraid to do anything because everything I do is wrong. So I said, do you want to quit the class? And he's like, I don't know. And I had thought about it overnight. And the next morning I said, we're done. You're quitting the class. I don't want you going in there again. I said, this coach is not good for you. I said, he's going to start to affect your confidence. He's going to start to affect your mindset. And especially as you go into tournaments. And I don't want you hearing the tape of Coach Tom's voice in your head when you're at a tournament and you mess up. Because you're going to. You're going to go to a tournament. You're going to miss a shot. You're going to double fault. It, It happens to everyone. So I need you to be able to have a problem solving mindset and say, wow, that was interesting. I wonder what happened there. I need to get refocused. Here's what I did wrong. Here's what I'm going to do the next time. You need to have a positive mindset, a growth mindset, a problem-solving mindset. And his voice in your head is really going to be detrimental to your ability to play well. So it was really time to do damage control before it got worse. Now, interestingly, Carter is such a good player that he was actually approached by an international tennis coach from France who just happened to be visiting our neighborhood, decided to check out the local courts. He also ran the tennis club in the UK where Wimbledon is held. I actually Googled this man because I was very curious about him. He didn't tell us any of this. I just, we found out because we looked him up and found him. 
And he was blown away by Carter's level of play. And he said he is very, very rare to find a player that is that talented and that skilled and has that kind of motivation. And then when he found out that Carter's only been playing for two years, he was absolutely shocked. And he's like, you have to support this player. Like you have to. And I'm like, trust me, I am. So I know that this all just isn't all in my head. He has actually been starting to get noticed. So that was really interesting. So here are some takeaways on how we can apply this to other situations. And I'm going to get to this right after a word from our sponsors. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than HomeThreads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. HomeThreads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets, to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads, love where you live. Okay, so what are the takeaways from this situation? Number one, no matter how renowned or praised an authority figure is, if something isn't feeling right to you, heed that warning. Now, I can give you so many examples of authority figures that have done grave damage to children, both psychologically and physically, who were highly, highly regarded. I'm just going to give you a couple examples I can remember off the top of my head. So I can't remember the assistant football coach at Penn State University. 
this was, I want to say like 10 years ago, maybe a little more. Sandusky, it was Jerry Sandusky. He ran a nonprofit to supposedly help underprivileged kids. He was a pillar in the community. He was a coach at Penn State. You know, the whole town rallies around this team. I know I grew up there. I grew up in State College, Pennsylvania. So I know how the town rallies around this football team. And it's a small town and the university is kind of the, you know, the keystone to this town. And so he was very highly regarded. And then on top of it, he was running a nonprofit. He was seen as like this just giving, generous man. He was a monster. So we also had a swim coach in the town where we used to swim in Santa Clarita, California. And not on our team. He was not a coach of our team. He was a coach of of the other team in town. Very highly regarded team. Had swimmers who went to Olympic trials, had at least one Olympic swimmer. So it was a very highly regarded team. And there was a coach on that team that I had heard about and from other parents. And the warning signs were so blatant. I couldn't believe that there were parents who still let their their kids swim under this man. But he had all the classic signs. But because he had developed Olympic level swimmers, because he had gotten so many kids, so many scholarships to colleges, parents, they were too blinded to see these big red flags. So if something feels off, I don't care how many people put this person on a pedestal, hail them as the greatest, let their kids go hang out with this person and go hiking with this person. And, you know, whatever, if it's a coach or a teacher, just remember a lot of people can turn a blind eye. Now, this coach finally, finally had a swimmer who came forward and blew the whistle on him. And then several more boys came out of the woodwork and came forward. And there were a lot of boys who came forward. This man fled the country, posted bail, fled the country, and he went down in a big ball of shame. It ended very, very badly. So I don't care how renowned or how much people rally around someone, support someone, say that he's the best or the greatest or she is the best or the greatest. If something feels off to you, if you see this person treating your child in a way that just doesn't feel right, your child says something that the way they spoke to them, the way that they touch them, anything, that's be done. Pull your child, be done. Okay, you want to watch for this turning up the heat slowly because this is how these things work. If something makes you pause, don't ignore it. If everything's been fine and they turn it up a little bit, these are the frogs in the water, right? These, these people will slowly turn up the water. And I think we parents were conditioned to not want to raise our kids to be overly sensitive, right? We want them to be able to face life's challenges, to overcome them, to have resilience. But there's a difference between resilience and allowing toxic, abusive behavior, right? You know, it's okay for them to be told they can do better or they need to work on something more or what they need to do to do better. So when an adult in a place of authority is a little hard on our kids, or at least, you know, I try to help my child use the feedback to improve and not be overly sensitive or take it too hard. I want my kids to be able to take corrections and implement them. But it can be a fine line between the correction and the critical, the demeaning, and it can kind of slowly, slowly shift to that. And we might not realize it's happening to like, whoa, wait a minute, what's happening here? So if something's happening and you're feeling uncomfortable about it, take a deeper look at it. It can be subtle 
and still be demeaning. So we may need to stop and think, this feels off. Something feels wrong about this. Why? Is this really just a a bit harsher of a correction or is this out of line? Okay, here's the guideline I would use when determining if a correction from a leader in your child's life is acceptable or not. And that is, how would you want your child to talk to themselves? What do you want their inner voice to be when they are working on something, learning on something, mastering something new? So if you hear the voice from this person of authority, now this doesn't necessarily mean it's gone way over the line, but you want to definitely make a note of it. And then you may want to talk to them. If they're receptive, great. The coaches talk about kids being coachable. Well, the coach has to be coachable too, right? I mean, to understand what it means to be coachable, you need to be coachable yourself. So, you know, if the coach says something that might be a a little bit of too much of a negativity um, that the child might take and internalize, it's okay to talk to them. Say, hey, when, when you said this the other day, I found this problematic because if when my child internalizes that and they think that about themselves, how is that going to affect them? You know, whether it's playing an instrument or, or working on their art or their writing or whatever it is. So I want my child to give themselves grace. I want them to problem solve and work on correcting. I want my son to think, if I hit my serve into the net a few times, what do I need to change? I need to keep my shoulder up. I need to stop dropping my head or my shoulder. I need to hit the ball in front of me instead of behind me or right on top of me, right? I need to focus on that ball toss and do that differently. I keep missing the notes, like if they're playing an instrument, I keep missing the notes on this passage. I've missed it three times in a row. Maybe I need to slow down, get it down before I try to play it faster, right? Instead of beating myself up, why can't I play this fast? I'm not good at this. You know, why can't I do this? I'm a slow learner. Why can't I play this? This should be easy. Why can't I sit still in my chair and finish my work? What's wrong with me, right? We definitely don't want that type of voice in our kid's head. We don't want someone saying those things for our kid. Why can't you sit still in your chair and just finish your work? If you hear an adult say something to your child or your child reports some adult saying something to them that makes your hackles go up, that makes you question, then it's probably problematic. If it happens once, it's a mistake and it's definitely a good thing to bring it up. You can speak to your child's teacher or your coach or what have you, but if it continues, and especially if you see it starting to affect your child, it's time to put space between your child and that person. I have another incident I'll bring up. It was a teacher. My son came home and said she called him a liar. So we went and had a meeting, the three of us, and I told her what he said. Of course, she denied it, which is fine. You know, that's definitely most people would deny it. You know, they don't want to be seen as the person who called their child a liar. And she's like, well, maybe I asked him if he was sure he was telling the truth or something like that. But she said, I would never call him a liar. But what it did was it let her know that he reports back to me, that he talks about what happens in school. And so she was much more careful with her words from then on. We never had another problem after that. But, you know, if it continues to be a problem, then it's time to put some space. And when you do that, when you put your foot down, And like when I put my foot down with my son, I said, we're done with this coach. He's not a good influence. He's going to start to affect your game. It teaches your child how they should be treated. It teaches them that it's important to stand up for themselves and for their own self-esteem and mental health. You teach them how to set boundaries, how to make decisions to protect their own sanity and their own mental well-being. 
We want our kids to develop skills to create and maintain healthy relationships. We want them to know what healthy relationships look like. We want to help them know how to navigate these types of situations so that they can protect themselves. We've all had experiences, right, with toxic family members, bosses. I'm sure we've all had at least one <laughs> really negative boss who was very difficult, coworkers, and even romantic partners. The better we are at teaching our kids, at recognizing it, having the skills to move away from those people, set boundaries around those people, the healthier relationships they will be able to have or that we can have when we do that for ourselves, the happier we are, the happier they will be. Right? The more that we're around people like that, that really starts to tear away at our self-esteem and our mental well-being. So many of us have a pattern of being people pleasers. You know, we are afraid to make waves. We want to see the best in people. And so we focus on their skills as a teacher or a guide for our child. And we minimize the negativity that they bring. So I hope this episode gives you the permission to notice the negativity, to see it as problematic if it is, if it's too critical, and then to make the changes to guide your child in setting healthy boundaries to protect their own mental health and well-being, their own happiness. Now, as you may have noticed, I have backed the podcast down to every other week. Uh, while my parenting partner was gone for the seven months in the Middle East, I really had to let the website go. And so I really have started to refocus on that, spending time on creating new classes, working on email newsletter. Um, I have a couple new classes coming out. I really need to build something that is very sustainable for my family. And so it's definitely time to focus on that. I love the podcast. I'll keep doing episodes that I hope you find informative, but I really need to focus on something that I know can bring something more sustainable over the long term. So I have a class on parenting goals. It has a guidebook and a workbook with it that helps parents set goals that are in alignment with their child's developmental stages. I go through that. What goals are very in alignment with a child's development so that by the time they are teens and tweens, they have all this great foundational life skills and emotion skills to really thrive in the world. I also have a class on parenting styles and a guidebook and workbook with that to learn about all the different parenting styles, what different attributes fall under each one. We are all a mesh of parenting styles and we tend to fall predominantly into one, but we will kind of move back and forth. And so it goes deeply into all the traditional styles and then the newer, all the newer styles and where you can, you know, write some things out, check off like which ones you want to be, maybe where you're falling right now and where you want to be. And then a workbook on how you can move towards the parenting style that you would like to fall into, how you can work into that. So those classes are coming up on the website, yourvillageonline.com, along with all the other 60 parenting classes on demand in positive discipline, development and health, educational concerns and guidance, and then all the classes that I put under modern family or modern parenting that affects us in the world today. Again, yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.